Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Eurythmics podcast. Rex Aldana here with my friend Mark Stevens. Mark, say hello. Hello, Rex. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> all right. Did you hear me? Well, okay, all right. I'm- today we have a special guest joining us on our podcast. He is an American musician notable for playing harmonica on the Eurythmics song Missionary Man and performing uh, saxophone and harmonica with the band live. He's also played live as part of Rod Stewart's band and appears on Weird, An- Weird Al Yankovic's albums uh, Weird Al in 3D, Dare to be Stupid, and UHF, Original Motion Picture Soundtrack. As a studio musician, he's also played with Etta James, Tom Petty, Ziggy Marley, and Bon Jovi. He had an album called Musical Madness in the late 80s where he collaborated with Dr. Dre and ventured into hip-hop. He's released a number of studio albums, and he's collaborated with artists such as uh, Rita Coolidge, uh, Fergal Sharkey, Yes, Carol King, Etta James, uh, Ringo Starr, and others. So we'd like to introduce him now in a very special way. So here we go. Okay, so by now you figured out our special guest is Jimmy Zavala, Jimmy Z Zavala, who um, I believe all your Rhythmics fans consider you part of the family, Jimmy. We, uh, oh, well, nice. <laughs> Mark and I were talking the other day about the Revenge Band. You know, it was one album and, and one tour that lasted quite a while. But the whole Revenge Band is, is so highly regarded among fans. We think of you guys as family. You know, you, all of you. In fact, when we started doing these podcasts, one of the things we got was you need to do interviews with all the Eurythmics band members, or, you know, re- revenge band members. So I don't know if we can get everybody, but uh, we're starting with you. Thank you for oh, offering. I'm sure you can. As, as just a real quick side note, I'm, for, I'm leaving for Paris next week, and I'm going to, me and John East, the background singer, we're in touch. We're going to have a lunch or dinner or something. And I haven't seen her since. Probably 30 Wonderful. years. Yeah, she's really? very, uh, she talks to the fans a lot. We're in communication with her as well. So we hope to do a podcast with her. I'm sure she'd be happy to do it. You know, and yeah, all of them, I know Clem, is, they're all pretty easygoing people. You know, yeah. Have, have you not seen Joni since the Revenge tour and all that ended? I might have seen her on the, when I left the band to do my own stuff around when they did the next thing 88 that's probably the last time i saw her wow Wow. no but uh, but rex is we're very serious when we say that that uh, um and we can't quite put our finger on it exactly but the revenge band um is really special to fans and i and i think we we think of you very much as part of eurythmics not just as you know, on the and we recorded on an album and you tour. It's really a, a special, a special years. I think for fans, it really is, and it's it's just really great that that you're here. We're really excited. Well, that's that's nice to hear because for me, you know, I didn't really know that much about them before I got with them, and then after, I don't know what it was either, but like. I know that band and I played in a lot of really good bands, but that's a damn good band. And, and on top of it, we all, we all recorded on that record, you know, which is rare too. You know, it was just like, it was uh, the universe. We all got in the same place at the same time from around the world. 
and created that record. And then it was a great live band because sometimes, you know, people are great in the studio and not, not that good live maybe on stage, but, and vice versa. But that band covered both sides really good, you know, and, and it was, and we, we really loved each other. It was, it was a fun group of people to be around. I believe Bruce Springsteen said it was the best live band he'd ever seen. No way. Really? Yeah. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Thank Damn. You. I didn't even I know it was in the audience. <laughs> that's high praise is not right. So, but let, Jimmy, let me ask you. So your date though, with your rhythmics destiny almost didn't happen because in 1986, unlike today, we don't have a telephone or a phone or cell. No. You know, we don't, you know, it was different. We have a phone in our hand all the time now. But you missed a call from Mr. David Stewart. Is that correct? And you, so you almost missed your destiny. Is that not right? Yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. Uh, I was <laughs> running out of money in West Hollywood. I, just, I hadn't, I think I'd been off the road with uh, Tom Petty for about eight months and I was running my band in, in LA, 10 piece band, you know, and it was, I was out of dough and I, I was sitting around a pool in my apartment in West Hollywood and I heard the phone ring and usually I'd run up and try and get it. And I said, I'll let the answering machine get it. You know, those little old style things with a tiny tape. And then I, I get up there, I went up and I listened and it was Dave Stewart. And uh, I can't do his accent real good, but he's, he goes, hello, Jimmy. I'm, I'm in my flat in Paris with Annie and we were wondering if you could come to Paris and blow wind down bits of metal, you know. <laughs> and he goes, my number is, oh, I can't remember it. I'll call you back. Click. And I went, ah, damn. You know, and uh, he didn't call back for a few weeks. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow. It was a few weeks, huh? I picked that phone up, you know. But like, uh, finally, he did get back to me. And uh, about a month later, I was flying over there with uh, – May rest in peace, Phil Chen, the famous bass player from Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck and all that. So we flew over there together to work on Revenge. Uh, but I didn't know what what it was going to be when you know. So you you didn't yeah. you you didn't know a lot about it except we want you to play with us on our. We want you I didn't to know anything. Uh, you know, funny enough, what was going through my mind, I, I had like a big shopping cart full of saxophones and my harmonicas and equipment. And I remember, and, and then when we got to the airport, well, first me and Phil Chin got out. For some reason we stopped in London for two hours, some silly layover. And we, you know, you could get off the plane then, you know, it was pre nine 11, obviously, but like, and then when we're getting back on the plane, the London security didn't like the looks of us. They thought we were drug dealers. So they pulled us aside and, they made us take all our clothes off to our underwear and we're sitting in these cold chairs and we're going, look, we're not drug leaders, we're musicians and we really got to make this flight, you know. Long story short, they let us go finally and we make it to Paris and we go, great. And then the the guy that was supposed to pick us up forgot about us and we sat there for four or five hours, just nobody picking us up. And by the time he picked us up, he goes, well, it was about five in the evening. He goes, you want to you want to go to the hotel or to the studio? And I looked at Phil and we said, eh, let's go to the studio. And I remember thinking, I want to, your rhythmics, hmm, techno pop. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, thinking to myself, I don't wonder what this is going to be like, you know? 
And when I remember, I'll never forget when I walked in the, the studio in Paris, Palais de Congrès, I think it was called. And uh, it was like a party going on in that, that, that control room. There was people, you know, uh, drinking, there's a tequila bottle, drinking little Heinekens out of the Coke machine and uh, smoking things. And, and they were, the song they were working on sounded like ACDC, you know, it was like, on, don, 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 you know. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, your rhythmics, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and then they said, Phil, can you go play some bass on this song? So right away, Phil's in there putting bass on this song. And I'm just kind of like sitting back. And, you know, we've been traveling 20 hours from L.A., L.A. to London and to Paris. And and uh, I was sitting on the couch. I've been introduced to Andy. I knew Dave. I've been working with Dave, you know, in, in L.A. on – different records he's producing like Fergal Sharkey and Stevie Nicks. Anyway, so I'm sitting on this couch at the end and then Analex in the end of this couch left and she pops up in the Scottish accent and she goes, all right, Jimmy Z, let's see what you can do. You know? And I went, and I jump up and I'm a little, you know, jet lag smoking some, drinking some stuff. And uh, <laughs> I said, all right, yeah, sure. She goes, Oh no, mate. You know, you're tired. You're jet lagged. I said, well, put it up. Come on. She goes, Oh, and I go, Oh, and I'm like, Oh, oh man, what have I done? You know? And so it's like this immediate thing between me and Annie, you know, like, uh, squaring off. So I get a sound really quick with the French, uh, techs and, and they roll the tape and I, I just figured, I thought, okay, this is the intro. I'll do something here. And it goes on. I said, this seems like a solo here. I do a solo. And then it, it went on and on. I hadn't edited the song about eight minutes, and I was getting caught in mouth, to be honest with you, but I was I was going to power through it. I didn't want him to, you know, stop and punch me in. So I finish it, right? And when you're a musician recording, sometimes the worst thing when you're looking in the control room is they say nothing. You know, usually they say, the talk back, they'll say, well, that was great. Play a little more here, a little less here. We're going to do it one more time. You know, it's nothing. And then the second worst thing, or even the worst, Dave Stewart pressed the button. He goes, come on in. <laughs> and that's kind of like, you're, you're done, you know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making that long walk, you know. I'm going, oh, great. First thing I do, and it's, you know, it sucks, you know. And I get to the double doors. I open it, and it's a little step up. And the first person I see is Annie Lennox. You know, she's looking down at me, and I – I said, yeah, no good, huh? She goes, fucking brilliant, mate. <laughs> and I was going, whew. And so we listened to it, and that song was Missionary Man. And uh, and I, listened, everyone's going, oh, that was cool. It was great. I said, okay, cool, Dave. Now I know the song. Just let me go in and do it again. He goes, no, nah, you're done, mate. I said, yeah, great. Okay, cool. Just one more pass, and I'll be cool. He goes, you're done. And, he, and that was it. He wouldn't let me do it again. That was the first take. Wow, so so we actually are hearing the first take then on the on the album. Yeah. Wow. The first and only take. That that was it. And well, then- I, I you know what I did? One time they were out doing uh, some press or something and this was later after I'd been in Paris for a month and a half or so and I was there with John the engineer in the studio just me and him and I said, "Hey, can you get out that your rhythmic thing?" <laughs> <laughs> he's going i don't know if we should do that man i said come on you know there's there's some extra tracks right he goes yeah so we did and i couldn't i couldn't match it you know i kind of mm-hmm. did the same thing but it just the first one had the magic you know and i think dave might have used a little of that during the solo there's a little thing where it's cross faded some and it sounds like 
of that other one I did. Maybe he snuck a little in, of, but basically it's the first one. It's the first take, you know. So what, so what we're hearing then is you go in the studio, they play something they've recorded. They've not even told you the name of it. No. And, you're, and you play along. Yeah. And it's, that's a very Dave Stewart thing. We've heard about him doing that before, I believe, when Stevie Wonder did the harmonica for There Must Be an Angel. He did it, and Dave tried to get him to do a second take. Dave was trying, no, that's Dave tried to get him to do a second <laughs> take. Stevie Wonder said, nope. <laughs> I'd go with Stevie. <laughs> so I wonder if Dave learned something from that experience and applied it to the to the next one. Uh, if the first thing stick with it's it. It's funny enough a fun, that you bring up must have been an angels because now me and Annie, we had this little like thing going in like, okay, like one up and chip, you know. And then we went to this funky little rehearsal place in Paris. And I think Chucho, I don't know if Chucho was there yet. Maybe it was his first rehearsal. We were going to go check out this new bass player, Chucho Murchan. And uh, and it was our first rehearsal. And and she looks at me, okay, now we're going to must have been an angel. Let's see what you can do to this, Mr. Jimmy Z. You're like, do Stevie Wonder's thing. And I'm going, oh, no. I don't know if it's going to work. You know, these I don't play chromatic. I play these, you know, diatonic harmonicas and and I'm thinking, uh, as the song's going, you know, the harmonica doesn't come into the solo, right? And uh, I'm trying to see which key's going to work. And I'm going, oh, man, I don't know if this going to work, you know? And she's like, she's loving it, you know? She's like, she can see me kind of sweating a bit. And we get to the part where the solo comes, and I say, oh, screw it. I'll just go for it. And and I'm going, as I'm playing, I'm going, oh, it'll work over these changes. And I, I blow it off, and I look, and she goes, like that she does one of those you know i'm going <laughs> so we had that thing going from the very beginning and that song as i think you know turned out to be a real showcase for me mm -hmm. um, yes exactly the whole revenge I, tour you know when yeah. you when you agreed to to do the podcast uh, i revisited some things and watched of course i've seen the eurythmics live video album and all that but your performance at the Mandela concert. Yeah, yeah. You just you just go on with the you you look like you were having a ball, but you know you're in a hundred thousand people. You know, and of course, Eurythmics played at Wembley uh, many times, of course. But at that at that event, you you really played that harmonica. And that was one of those ones where you just you just knock it out of the park, and wow. What a coincidence, like in front of 100,000 people. And, and I, I'm told went to a billion people worldwide that day because wow. it was broadcast. And when people watched those things back then, uh, yeah. And I, I look at that sometimes and I'm going, how the hell did I do that? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't always play it like, that way, you know. It was all, And that was a cool thing about Dave and Annie. They'd, they'd just, they'd give me, room to play and they say look it just finish the song whenever you want you know and i can remember sometimes during that solo that i was thinking well i could end this nah one more <laughs> i could do i could tell the right spot where i was thinking that too looking at it and it, but that one you know the the one the the revenge live thing we did in sydney that's a good solo and everything and it but that one at wembley was just like I caught the caught the magic on that one, you know. It was just off the hook, and yeah. it was at the right time. 
Totally like agree. the magic with the first time you were jet lagged, probably a little drunk, but you did it. And that's the way it came out. And it was perfection as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and, um, God like like it. You know, I, I mentioned before the podcast started that, uh, that, uh, to this day, that that harmonica still gives me the chills. Really makes the song, as far as I'm concerned. Without that harmonica, it'd still be a great song. But wow! Thank you. It's funny. I don't you, know you that I've ever heard one. That. There's some female artist who's doing a new release of Missionary Man, and I've had several friends. They just, just literally like texted me or emailed me with the link, and they're saying. I keep waiting for the harmonica intro. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I've, heard, I've heard a lot of versions that I know it's, yeah, I'm a little biased maybe, but like I'm with an open mind going, oh, cool. I want to see their take on it, but there's nothing. And even the Eurythmics, I've seen different versions they've done since, but there's nothing that gets it the way we all got at that time, yeah. at that group of people, not just because of my harmonica, but the, the, that, that, that original to me hasn't been, topped yet you know yeah. and I, jimmy I, you you pref- go ahead rick sorry go oh, ahead, i was going to say that this the sound of that harmonica is so like guttural and and like low and and so uh, <laughs> I, I i could go on and on about it jimmy <laughs> um, clearly but uh it's, it's so to me it's so unique it's so unique okay i won't i'm done Thank with you. the harmonica <laughs> yeah, yeah you know i go for that sound you know I was lucky to get it because usually, you know, I use my own amplifier. And, and nowadays there's pedals and things that we can use to get that without an amp. But back then, you know, I was just at the mercy, whatever they had in the studio. And and fortunately, they had an amp I could kind of finagle a sound out of. Do you do you want to you've got your harmonica there? Do you want to? Sure. Wanna, is there is there magic today? Let's see. <laughs> we never know. Okay, Jim. Thank you. That was awesome. And then we go. I was born in the desert. Thank you so much. (laughs) No, I I can. I can. A, a pri- I've just had a private concert from Jimmy Z. I'm, I know, I'm gonna, I know. I'm gone to heaven. <laughs> we have that a private is, concert, yeah. and now the rest of the world really will get cheap. it too. <laughs> that is fantastic. Now, but you, you know, know Jim- reminds me a little bit of. You remember that? Sorry, Mark. Um, the the show, the tube, the where oh, the yeah, show, yeah. the tube. At the very beginning of the show, you you and Dave are like sitting on some sidewalk, and he's playing, and and you're blowing the harp like that, and. 
it just sort of reminded me of that. Do you remember that that uh, thing that? Yeah, you, guys you know, I've seen that recently. Uh, we, I think we were in LA. They came out. Did we do that in LA? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there was a. What was the girl's name? That was the, the the host. I think she was married to Bob. Oh, was uh, that Paula Gilbert. Paula Yates? Paula Yates. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing that, and uh, I think that was definitely in LA. It looked like we were like in like the East LA part. Right, yeah, I, right. I do remember that. That was fun. Me and Dave, we you know what we did that around the world. There's one of us on YouTube somewhere. We're in a we're in a cab either in Tokyo, in someplace in Japan, and and we're in a back of a cab jamming. Yeah, well, that's in the the brand new day documentary film that was never released. So I think it's taken from that. I was wondering what happened to that, you know, because they held me back. We were in Japan and they asked if I would stay to to do this film. And I was wondering if whatever happened, it was never released, huh? You know, it, it was it was shown in theaters very briefly. I know it played in L.A. for a few days back in the day, but. Other than that, it never came out on home video or anything. Well, there there was a I think like a French release on home video from the director's, like, you know. So you can't ever. It's not anywhere where you can go see it now. No, I mean um, fans have copies of it that we've gotten from various sources, but yeah, there's no place you can really. uh, I have I have a copy if you'd like one. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I never seen it because we did a lot of filming in Kyoto. I think they did a lot of stuff there and pretty cool city of yeah. city of castles in Japan. And, and I, I like I said, I, I do some, some things and I just go, I never saw that. I never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, such is life. We keep moving on in life. We forget these things. It doesn't fit sometimes. Yeah. But, but on the revenge album, Jimmy, you recorded on seven of the 10 tracks, if I'm correct, either that's harmonica so. or saxophone um yeah you and and not just missionary man are, are really great things on what you did thorn in my side fantastic uh when tomorrow comes thank you um, a lot of these you know these songs are um without what you did without some of Jim, uh, joe niece's vocals revenge is a totally different album without you all and it it you all really did come together. And I think that was Dave and Annie's concept that they wanted it to be an album of a band that had that sound. It was their concept, I believe. Am I correct? Uh, yeah. I, well, I don't know because I'm, I wasn't privy to those kind of decisions, but it kind of came out that way. I think once I got there, I, the story I heard later was they, they did the basic tracks in Germany at Connie Plank studio somewhere in Cologne, maybe. And then they were on a train to Paris to f- do the finishes stuff. And I guess they'd had, they'd tried a, another sax player, a girl. And for some reason, I don't know why it didn't work out. And then they, the, the, the legend has it. They says to Annie, well, I know about this guy in LA, but he's, he's a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but we could try, you know, and uh, so I guess they were looking for sax players. We really weren't looking for harmonica players. So as usual, Rod Stewart wasn't looking for a harp player. He was looking for a sax player, but it, it all worked out. But so when I got there, you know, I guess they weren't even thinking harp on Missionary Man, but that was the first thing I did. And then you brought up, 
you know, what was this, the one um, there was Thorn in My Side. That was definitely my first real experience working really deep with Annie, you know, because uh, I came up with some things. But on that song, she really directed me what she wanted and I would do what she wanted. And then I would add a little an embellishment of my own. But but uh, that's def- definitely me and Annie working it out, you know, and and it was like it was. It was real eye-opening for me because I didn't realize what a great, uh, I knew she's a great singer, but she she plays, you know, she's a well-trained musician, pianist, pianist, uh, and, you know, big ears, great ideas. And uh, so, you know, Dave is a mastermind, but Annie's right in there too. You know, they're they're both like right in. And uh, it was it was great working with them that, so then, I would just be there and have all my toys and then they'd just say it. And then for them to find Janice was less like golden, you know, just she's phenomenal, you know, uh, and on stage too. I mean, like she's just great. And, and off stage, she's a great, great lady, you know, and, and those two, I think of it to this day, I, just those two voices on the tour, they, I don't ever remember them hitting one clunker one you know bad note and that's hard being a singer i i'm i'm a little bit of a singer you know i lead groups but like singing's hard you and you can't like you can't go out drinking and smoking with the boys you know you got to take care of your voice and all that you know but they they were great they're amazing and and plus what i was trying to say is to me it sounded like more than two people Sometimes, you know, the way they did it, you know, if you listen to all those parts they were doing and man, what two voices that just blended perfectly and sounded really good yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. That, that, and, and I think, again, I think it comes back to how much fans enjoyed that, uh, that whole concept and that whole tour, but Jonice and Annie just were perfect together. Their, their voices melded together perfectly. Yeah, and as far as your, what you're saying there, their concept, I think you're probably right, but I think the concept developed as people like Janice and myself and uh, Pat and people around them were there. They'd, they'd uh, inspire them, saying, "Oh, we got this. Let's try that. That's you know that you know that's the way Dave is anyway. He goes, oh, wow, that's a great sound. Just try this here.' You know, I wouldn't have thought like." What's that thing? It's going to be the last time, I think it is. Yeah. And he had me doing some kind of chugging thing on a harmonica that I wouldn't have thought of, but it was really cool. If you listen to that, you can hear the harp going like this, like a. But lower, and I think it's in D. Yeah, isn't there also a bit of that at the end of Thorn in My Side when she's the very end where she's going to run away from you, and you can hear the kind of the chugging in the background a little bit. Maybe, yeah, probably. You know. Well, I take it that, like you said, Dave and Annie, if 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 you all came up with something good, if you all they wanted you all to to shine just as much. Yeah. You can tell that, especially on the concerts. Totally. Man, they brought they you like, all up to the front. It wasn't Annie in the front all the time and Dave. They brought all of you up front. They wanted people to see you, to hear you. Right? Am I right? All on of that? us. Yeah, you're, you're totally on the money there. Like, they were totally generous with the, 
all of us. I mean, for sure, I got a lot of the uh, solo time and, and all throughout the show. But like, he, you know, Chucho would get his moment to to shine like in solo, and uh, Pam and uh, Pat and Janice just shine all the time. <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's amazing, you know that voice. You know, sure and is. and her the way she just. She's so a- animated, you know, doing really cool little things. Yeah, I love watching her. Yeah, I remember her doing like twirling around and yeah, you know, there was at one point where her and Andy going. were dancing together. And I know, you know, someone maybe as you guys somebody put up uh, or maybe I did it. It was uh, I hadn't seen it for a long time. It was from that show down in Sydney, Australia. It was um, uh, man, oh, when tomorrow comes, I do a long sax solo and. And they're all dancing around me and doing stuff, and I'm so into it. I didn't even know. As I didn't realize they were having such a good party around me, because <laughs> like, I'm in my own little world. People go, "You should have had a, uh, you know, clip-on mic, you know, like so I could dance around." And I, and I just tell people, you know what, you all dance around. I'm gonna play. You know, I'm not really into moving around with harp. No problem. I, you know, it's another, another thing. You know. I, but I, I, I'm okay just getting a mic and just getting into playing sax, you know, letting the music do the talking. But I, that was fun. to me. I was cracking up watching them all dancing around me. Yeah, you know, there's a great a, there's a great scene in that video that 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 concert that you all recorded, where Annie takes your microphone <laughs> and moves you up to the very front, but you have to go with her because she takes your microphone. I know. She takes you up to the front. I, I know, and I didn't like that day. Honestly, that's going on, oh, man. Because for me, I mean, a lot of sax players are really much better than me at like moving or doing this. I like to like get in a position right where I know that I'm comfortable and I can pull off certain things, fingering. Because if I go like this, I can't do something that it's it doesn't work for me sometimes. And then she, I don't know where she's going to be, and I got to kind of go to that mic, you know, because she's going like this with the mic, uh, you know, holding it like. <laughs> like a beat me off with a broom or something. And uh, yeah, you're right. I had to go with her. Yeah. Well, but, uh, I take it, Jimmy, you do not say no to Annie Lennox. Nope. Not too often. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so tell, tell us, tell us what it, what, what it is, what is it like working for Dave Stewart and Annie Lennox? Each one. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I know you've been doing that, but kind of on a personal level, what was that like? Um, well, eh, you know, Dave, you know, he's uh, eccentric and, and, you know, he'll, he'll pop up with a weird joke here and there, you know, weird or take on something, you know, he's funny. He was always, you know, he's, well, Jimmy, he's, you, you did say a moment ago that Dave said, I don't know. I've heard about this guy, Jimmy, but he's a little crazy. So I'm thinking if Dave Stewart says you're a little crazy, what does that say about <laughs> you, Jimmy? <laughs> and I'll take it one step further back when I was playing with, Tom Petty, and that's when they they wrote that song together. Don't come around here no more. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Dave Stewart co-wrote and produced that track for Tom. And when I was on tour with Tom, Tom came up to me one time. He says, "I got this guy Dave Stewart coming out. Yeah. He's crazy like you. You guys gonna hit it off." <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, "What the fuck's he talking about? I'm crazy." I don't know, you know, but he was right. We did hit it off. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I think you did his voice you know, really well, Tom's voice. 
(laughs) So, so it goes kind of like back to that. And then, so, you know, me and Dave, we had a silly sense of humor, you know, take on life and cracking up about stupid stuff. And as far as Annie, you know, I don't know if you guys, you remember Foghorn Leghorn, you know, the, the, you know, the, yes, the big yeah. kind of guy, the cartoon. Right. You know, right. he's like, oh, so son. he's like a Southern guy, you know, but it's a big old uh, kind of rooster. Right. And, yeah. And there was the old Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There was, a, there's one character in, in some of his cartoons was Chicken Hawk. It's a little bitty, little bitty Chicken Hawk, but he wasn't full grown, but he was like, I'm a Chicken Hawk, you know, and that kind of reminded me of Annie. Annie was like, you know, we're going to do it this way. You know, she was like a little general, you know, and she's like, you didn't want to, I remember, this is, you know, don't get me wrong, man. She was like no little chicken hawk, you know, as far as like, she was a powerful woman, but like one time Dave, we were, I think we were in LA getting ready to do a concert at the Greek theater. And we're all on this, uh, we could call it the celebrity van, <laughs> you know, in the, the van to go to the, do the concert and uh, we're outside the hotel and, and Dave had been doing like work with Mick Jagger and Daryl Hall, you know, writing stuff for movies and things and, you know, things away from your rhythmics. And, and Annie was getting pissed. She was getting pissed off about, you know, him not concentrating on the rhythmics. And I remember one time she got on, she got on the, I'm already on in you know on the bus or whatever and I look up and she's gets on the thing and she's muttering just walking down the aisle to the back going well damn it we worked for years to get you rhythmic this late and he's fucking off with all these other fucking little projects you know and muttering shit like that going down the aisle going who's he in trouble today <laughs> <laughs> but he's always so Oh, it's okay, you know. You know, he's got that, like, you know. Don't worry, you know. It's gonna everything's gonna be okay, you know. <laughs> but she used to get kind of like a little bit perturbed about things like well, I that. I can understand you know? that. I can also understand where he's coming from too. But it, I'm sure they always came together when they had to. And and like you were just saying, if, if if she said, yeah. "Dave, what are you doing?" He's probably like, "Oh, oh okay, okay, okay." <laughs> so. Well, he wasn't like that. He'd be going, ah, it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> In the end, they knew us. where the priority was, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, but, you know, they they worked it out for sure. But she she was like, like I said, from the beginning, we always had a little thing, you know, like she's trying to get me in some situation I couldn't get out of, you know, maybe like do that solo on Must Have Been an Angel or something, you know. And one time, um, what were we doing? Ah, shoot, man, I just lost it. I'm sorry. It'll come back to me. I I lost the train of thought there. But she was fun. She was fun. She would like, you know, she'd always like uh, trying to push you, you know, to do something, get better, you know, but kind of like challenge. is. I guess challenge is the better word, you know. Would Would you work with them again? Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah, no problem. In a heartbeat. So yeah. were, were there any other, were there songs that you didn't perform that you kind of ever did? You, I don't know, put you on the spot on that, but you kind of think, I wish we'd done, a, you know, maybe one of their other songs that they didn't do live or 
or some cover, something, anything you wanted to do with them that you didn't, or was it no, all? Because it was all new to me, <laughs> and I was amazed at so many good songs. You know, like "It's All Right, Baby's Coming Back," and you know, they're all fun. And the ones I did know about, but I'd never played. Like uh, you know, sisters are doing it for themselves. You know, would I lie to you? You know, I didn't know about sex crimes or. 1984, all kinds of songs I'd never even heard. They're fun, you know? Mm. And then plus they turned me loose on like, here comes the rain again. And he would say, put some sax in this intro, you know, or something, you know, that never had sax before, you know? So I, I got the embellished songs that had never had sax or harp sometimes, you know? And for a, for a, in my experience, like say I played five years with Rod Stewart. I did, we did five, six records you'd only like you maybe play the hit this hit single maybe one other song from the record you have out you know on on tour but with with that revenge tour we did a lot of the songs from that record we did yeah. we did um let's go when tomorrow yeah. comes you know um what's the other one thorn on my side missionary man Miracle There's, Love. Miracle Love. There's five, maybe more, but that's last five time. on the record. <laughs> what was that one? The last time. The last, the last time. Yeah. yeah. So and it's like, it's like you did the whole first lot. side plus the second, plus the first song from the second Man, side. That's, that's, not, that's rare. That's rare. Yeah. To, and that just goes to show how many good songs are on that record. And and I'm very proud of that record, you know. It, it And uh, the Miracle Love, I just love that, you know. I love that song. That reminds me, Jimmy, I, I listened to another podcast, not our podcast, but another podcast that was specifically about uh, the Revenge album and the two hosts on that. Uh, and they were doing it. To, it was, a, is it a classic? I think the idea of the podcast, is it a classic rock album? But man, they had good things to They loved the album. They did, but they had good things to say about you. They just thought you were the bomb. You were fantastic and they did also mention Jonice Jameson so Jimmy and Jonice <laughs> you know let me ask you real quick on the in the um in the tour book there's a section and it says it, it talks about the revenge band it says expect album soon okay there was never an album was was it ever discussed was there going to be one whatever happened to that um i guess it got lost in the shuffle you know the the priority it's definitely Eurythmics, you know. And then, and then I went off. I got my own record deals around '88, you know. I signed with IRS, and then I did something. I went with Richard Marks for a little while, and then I got with Dr. Dre. You know, I hooked up with him, recorded on a bunch of NWA and Ruthless Records artists, and then they signed me to a deal. So that kind of, you know, just life went on. You mm-hmm. know? It would have been cool to do, but well, this is a good happen. time to talk about the collaboration with uh, with Dre and and NWA. Um, that was really groundbreaking, Jimmy. And so, I know you've mentioned that you got some pushback from the rock establishment at the time. You want to talk a little bit about like the perceptions then versus now that it's all changed so much. You know, you do it now and it's just commonplace and expected. But yeah, so- it's. Yeah. Yeah, the way I can describe it, because it was almost like I was feeling like, like say, 
when I was a kid and I was digging the stones and beetles or something, and my parents were going, turn that crap down, you know, and, <laughs> and you just could feel like, you know, I know my mom liked Tony Bennett and Bobby Darren, and I like them too still, but like, you know, we were, it was our generation, our, our stuff. And then I was feeling with my, my peers that I played, you know, I played pretty much in the rock world with, you know, Rod Stewart, Petty, Yes, and Eurythmics and, that it was like, wow, I'm at this moment where I'm looking at my own people my age are acting like my parents. <laughs> well, how weird is this? Like I'm with the the new guy, the new kids, you know, and uh, you know, rap still gets pretty fucking high emotions from certain people and corners of the spectrum of uh, music lovers or not lovers, you know, hip hop, rap, whatever you want to call it. And especially at that time, NWA, they were like really pushing the envelope in different ways. But when I got with them, you know, I met them on a person. They came to see my show. I was playing at this club called the China Club in Hollywood. And my manager, Gary Ballin, was their road manager. And his cousin was Jerry Heller. I don't know if you know the story of that whole thing. But Jerry, if you ever yeah. seen that movie, um, Straight Outta Compton? Anyway. Yes. Yes. It's like Years ago. The, the timeline in that movie is when I was there, like from 89 to in the mid 90s, you know, up to Easy's death. And uh, and it was like I wasn't in the movie, but I was there when Suge Knight started hanging around. And uh, but like before Suge, I worked for about two years, almost every day with Dre in the studio on different projects, you know. And, and then we, then when I got signed to the label and he was producing my record and I was getting him to bring in live guys, just try different things, you know, pushing them as I do. I always try to say, you know, instead of doing a sample, let's get, I got some guys that can do that or do try it. Let's try that. You know, which he, he was doing a little bit himself anyway. It wasn't all just me saying it, but I, I pushed him further. And then when he, and, and that album, when it came out, I don't know if you ever seen the, the first song we wrote together was called funky flute. And I'm not really a flute, but I can play flute. Okay. But, of course, when I when we wrote, went to, I went to his home to write songs the first time. I had all my saxes out and flute and harmonicas all over the floor. And he goes, he points at the flute. He goes, "Let's write something with that." I'm going, "Ah, great, the fucking flute." <laughs> <laughs> so we write this song. It turns out to be the the first hit single, "Funky Flute," and we do a video. I don't know if you've ever seen the video. It's pretty funny. And no, but I'll check just, it out. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I re- I I put it up like you know, you know, in the Super Bowl, Dre produced the the uh, the halftime show, right? Yeah. With Mary Kay Blige and Snoop Dogg. So I've seen ah, it's a good time to I sent out a link. I can send you the link. It's on YouTube, Funky Flute featuring Dr. Dre. It's on my website. And, and I I after the halftime show, which you know billions of people watched around the world. I put it out there. Well, it was good to see my old pal Dre getting his due at the Super Bowl. Here's something we did back from my record that he produced. And we wrote this. This is the first song we wrote together. And man, you can't believe it. They were rise here five years. People go, who? These kids, anyway, 40 year old people. <laughs> you know, uh, um, you know, Tom Petty, who? Eurythmics, who? 
Dr. Dre, get out of here, man. <laughs> I go on the golf course now, and all these guys, my age, they're going, you were with Dre? Jesus Christ. Where do you see this? Where do you see this video? It's me, Easy, and Dre with three really beautiful dancers and three beautiful models, you know, and funny little vignettes. You know, it's, it's pretty funny. But, that, you know, Dre was, to me, I, 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 he's, from the word go, man, he's like, uh, I, I wouldn't, he's genius, you know, in his own way, you know, but he got ears like this, had no training. I think he's been taking some little piano lessons now, but he didn't need it. He could hear things. Even if he couldn't play it, he would get it out of you, you know, or out of whoever was in the session. And he would, he would like noodle around a keyboard and get what he wanted, you know? And, and of course he knew how to sample and scratch and do all that stuff that, innovative innovative stuff and he's funny as hell i mean he comes off you know with this image of being all tough and everything you know i'll send you some pictures of me and him in restaurants and stuff, yucking it up looking like you know with gaucho hats on and looking stupid you know <laughs> we had so much fun we laughed so much making that record you know but unfortunately you know business came down in between it all and it was nothing to do with me and him, just like Easy was not paying him enough. And then Suge Knight came in at the right time to talk him into starting Death Row Records. So Suge Knight started hanging out at the studio right when we were mixing my record. And I knew when this big guy came, it, all work was going to shut down. I got, ah, damn. We'd just mix. We'd mix three re songs and we had about eight more to go. And then I ended up having to finish the record myself without Trey because the shit hit the fan and Suge Knight and them, they, they kidnapped easy, threatened him with the baseball bat to, mm. you know, release Trey and, uh, you know, went into lawyer's offices and it was, it was fucking heavy. It was some heavy stuff. I remember going into the studio and Donovan, the studio owner says, Dre told me you ain't working today. I said, what do you mean? He goes, that's what he said. I said, well, where is he? He goes, I don't know. He's just, I don't know. He's somewhere. I said, well, can I reach him? Because like you said, this is before cell phones. This is before, you know, yeah. I went around the world 15 times without a cell phone, man. I don't know how the fuck I did that shit. <laughs> yeah. How driving did you up do the road in South Africa and Australia, you know, you know, just, and Mandela was still in prison. You know, we, we did some crazy stuff, got through it. But anyway, so like, uh, I get a hold of Dre and I said, What's up? And he goes, well, we're going to have to take a couple weeks off. You know, I said, oh, man, come on. We're almost done with this thing. And he goes, you know, we said, he goes, I said, where are you, man? Come on, Dre, come on. We got to talk. And he goes, and so he gives me an address of this apartment that he's at. This is in West L.A. And I get to the apartment and it's like, you know, they're on the phones and, and, uh, and it's an empty apartment. There's no furniture in there or something like they just rented it just to have it that day or something is and then just crazy stuff was going down and I'm just going, Oh man, this is going to end up on the 11 o'clock news. You know, <laughs> you know when, when Suge Knight would come in, you know, and I get along with Suge. For some reason Suge liked me, you know, but like he, when I, you know, this guy is a big gangster, man. I mean, he was a huge man, is a huge man. I didn't know him from Adam, you know, but like, and usually I was the lone white face in the whole crowd anyway. So I just kind of listen and just, just listen, not to add too much, you know. 
to the conversation and uh and he'd be talking about like joking about driving down to the studio we were in torrance which is like the south bay here in la like say he's coming from wherever compton or something he's on the 405 freeway and he's joking about you know seeing some pretty girl in the passenger seat of a vet or something and then the driver that the boyfriend or whatever husband flips him off and then he gets a gun and goes bam 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 and i'm not going okay i don't want to hear no more of this i'm going to hear this on 11 o'clock news you know <laughs> that kind of stuff you know like it was heavy you know i was like going, i don't want to know what these guys so, are doing. so a lot of that stuff is 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 real then <laughs> it's not Very just uh, it's not just an image the first time i got in that studio to go work with dre the studio owner there's a white guy, Donovan the Dirt Biker. He said, okay, you got to give me a piece. And I said, my what? He goes, come on. I said, peace. <laughs> yeah. Son. Yeah, he didn't think it was funny. I said, look at man. All I'm packing is my saxophones and harmonicas, man. I ain't he goes, all right, well, the rule is if you do, you got to check it here at the desk. So, all, you know, there's other Wow. One time I looked at it, all kinds of guns and shit there. You know, he, he was really serious about that rule, you know. But one time I saw, sh- so then we did my record and then, you know, it goes to go on Funky Flutes getting added to all these radio stations. And uh, then we're, we're on the, you know, I was a Ruthless slash Atco, Atlantic Records, big label. And we did the WIA convention and Ahmed Erdogan, you know, we're part of Atlantic Records. He was loving it. Bill Graham was in the first row. We did a live show to track, but I played live. And they, they were all digging. We were, like, flying around on the Time Warner jet. Everything was going. And then and then this Sylvia Roan, she was the first uh, black lady to be head of a major label. She was head of RCA. RCA merged with ATCO, which basically meant all the people working my record at ATCO got fired. <laughs> so it's like mm. the, the plug was pulled. It was just a matter of time until I got let go. And uh, probably just as well. I was living pretty crazy, and I'd probably be dead, you know. <laughs> things went the way we thought they were going to go. Well, Jimmy, I mean, you talk about two juxtapositions. You go, you go from Dave Stewart and Annie Lennox, which I don't think was just completely normal, and, <laughs> and to this next life. So you, you've, had, you've had a very interesting musical career. And I, you, you said something a minute ago, about and you were talking about Dre and you were talking you talked about Dave and Annie and you you talked about you know the, how they they could they could just hear what they wanted they 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 sensed yes. what but don't you think that they also got that from you as well that they knew that you had that same sort of magic inside you that's why well, they gravitated towards you that's fair I suppose and it's. It's like they have you there because you know you're going to bring something that they didn't think of, and they and the good thing about like whether it's a Dave and Annie or a Dre, is they'll go oh, they they know what you're capable of doing, and then they, we might do something that they hadn't thought of in that, but they think about what you just did and putting it over in this part or doing it or even a whole nother song with what you did. You know that's the great thing about being together in the studio that. Sometimes I miss, uh, as you see, where I'm at here, I record right here. Where we're, most of the stuff, especially during the pandemic, people send me their files and I record here. So sometimes I'll put in 
six hours on a song that, like with Missionary Man, I got done in eight minutes. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm nitpicking and anal about something where if someone was on the other side, going, they'd say, you're done. That's perfect. You know, and I'm going, eh, it could be better, you know, or something, you know. It's good being able to uh, collaborate, you yeah. know, not just in writing, but in, you know, writing and producing and playing for someone in a studio environment, you know, where it's like give and take, push and pull and all that. I miss that. But you're right. It comes from both sides. You know, that's why, I mean, I tell some people, you know, when they ask me about doing recording sessions and being nervous and things, I said, it's okay, you know, be a little nervous or something, but just remember this. They want, whoever called you, the artist, producer, they want you to succeed because, you know, they, otherwise they got to get someone else to do it or they're going to like start doubting that they're making the right decisions, you know. They And then if you bring something, it, maybe it's not exactly what they wanted, but maybe it's better. It's mm-hmm. different. It's, it's you know, you don't have to worry about giving them exactly what you want. Just give them what you got and then go from there. And then and then sometimes the people that keep pushing to get something that you can't get, at, there's nothing you can do, yeah. you know. You, but I imagine that whole process is, is so people, you've all had that experience, you know, you get to a point where people are like, you know, I, can I tell you one real quick story about sessions? Sure. Uh, yeah. Steve Stills. You've heard of Stephen Stills, right? Yes. Okay. okay. I get called. I, I actually played in this band for a little, just a minute, a little while, you know, and, and I, this is after I'd done that. And I get, a, I the session was at his house, you know, and uh, Russ Kunkel was producing a great drummer, famous drummer. And, and uh, Joe Vitale, another famous drummer, played with Joe Walsh. They're there. And and I think it was for The Crossing Guard or something, maybe a movie with Sean Penn. But anyway, oh. I get there and uh, they say, well, Steve just went to, to dinner, but if you don't mind, we can you can record some harp and then, you know, when he gets ready, we'll either do some more or we'll like what you did. I said, yeah, sure. No problem. So I, uh, I, uh, I did it. I played a few things and I said, that's great. So Steve comes in, he doesn't remember me at all. I said, Hey, how you doing? You know, I said, hey, yeah. he goes, uh, and he hears about two seconds of what end of something I'd done. He goes, Oh no, no, that's all wrong. That's all wrong. So we, we get into it and we go about it minimum an hour of me playing over and over and over this this song and it's it's just not working he ain't digging nothing you know and then for some reason keltner was one of those guys joe they 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 played the song and 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 my harmonica is going on it and steve goes wait 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 play that back what the hell is that that's perfect <laughs> russ Cole goes uh, Steve, that was the first thing Jimmy played. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going, oh, well, yeah. should have played that for me first. <laughs> we had, but we didn't say that. You know, it's like, yeah, you're right. We should have played that for you. And I imagine that kind of thing happens a lot, right? Where you may have already uh, done something the right way, and you don't realize, or you go back to it. It can happen, you know. It, you know, you don't realize. Even with with myself, that's why I keep the first takes always. 
And I tell people when I get that, I said, you know what? Roll tape, even though it's not tape anymore, it's digital, it's Pro Tools or whatever. But I'll say, you know what? And I make a joke out of it, but it's kind of not a joke. I said, look at record the first stuff I do because it doesn't get any better. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's true. I talked to a lot of other guys and, and ladies that, you know, sometimes the first ones, it's the magic because we're not thinking about it so much. It's what's really in us. And it's just the natural thing. Because once you've done it and then you hear it, you go, oh, that is it. But you try to maybe get back there or maybe try to make it better, whatever, quote unquote. And it, you don't get that. It's the first initial thing that through your soul, your mind, your body that hits you, you know, from this uh, music, this, these chords, these set of chords and changes and whatever mood, beat. And that is the real thing. And hopefully it's what fits the song, but that is the real thing that you're feeling at that moment. And it's like, uh, it's kind of lost on people. Sometimes you can beat something to death, you know, mm-hmm. don't get the real essence. I, I love that, Jimmy. I think, uh, and I think that's what you've done. I mean, and missionary man went on to win Eurythmics, their first Grammy award. I mean, their first Grammy came for missionary man. You know, I, I was not aware of that until I think you guys said that or something. I oh, didn't really? even know we won a Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> They've been in, uh, yeah, are you supposed to get one of those? <laughs> oh, that's my question. Where's my Grammy? <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know. Call the Grammy Museum and say, what's going on? But uh, they didn't win a Grammy. Uh, but, uh, I think that's for David and Andy. Well, I don't know. There may be, may be other people. I'm not sure, but uh, maybe yeah, not either. <laughs> you yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll check that out but um you know you uh, dave's dave's talked a lot about that over the years not just about revenge about you know sometimes the first thing they did was the best thing uh yeah you know, maybe not always maybe not always but let me ask you about that eight minute version of missionary man that you played was that an actual recording of the song or was that different pieces all just jumbled together? No, it was, it was the recording. It was just like a long outro, like the, oh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. It just kept going dun, 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 like for about three or four minutes, you know, that you really wouldn't have keep for a single or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It There wasn't a whole bunch of other stuff going on. The song, I think they, obviously they did it the way it should be done you know um i don't even know if if, does the original just fade out or is there an ending uh it does fade it does yeah yeah so yeah it was just like you know they just kept playing it you know and Mm -hmm. i and i didn't stop i was like going you know my getting caught mouth from smoking ash or something and i and i you know, I, I don't know. I was feeling real macho. I said, I'm not going to stop. And I think I blew them away that I just kept blowing like that for six, mm-hmm. eight minutes, maybe. Well, I tell you, I, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, some special release someday. You know how they have the extra tracks. I wouldn't mind to have that eight minute. Cr- yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. That'd be killer. That'd be killer. <laughs> yeah, I would like that. There's a probably, there's a few other songs that never got on there, too. They, they wrote a lot. They wrote, they're pretty prolific, you know? Yeah. We know there's a lot in the vault we haven't heard. We're hoping that some of that will be released someday. Yeah. You know, um, I can't remember now, but I remember there was stuff left over. 
And it's all a lot with Rod too. Sometimes with Rod Stewart, we'd record 32 songs, but only, you know, 10, 11 would go on. It was literally actually vinyl records in. Well, it's they're back, but you know, you can only fit so many on a vinyl. Then the CDs came, you could fit more, but, yeah. but you know, they wouldn't put 30 songs. You know, on. Speaking of CDs, when revenge came out, that was right around when CDs were becoming big. And it was actually the first Eurythmics CD I ever bought. Well, actually, I bought the LP, then later the CD. But I distinctly okay. remember in the Rolling Stone review of the album, which was not the greatest review and to this day still pisses me off. But that's another story. <laughs> but they mentioned how your saxophone on Thorn in My Side just sounds like it's in the air. And, and it's a compliment. It sounds like it was, it's in the air, just hanging there. And I th- and I thought yeah. that was so such a perfect description because when you listen to it, it does have that feel of it. If it, um, you know, like it's hanging, like it's right there hanging in front of you. And you mentioned earlier that Annie was kind of like, you know, like coaxing you or help helping you to draw that out on yeah. Thorn in My Side. Was that one of her ideas to have that kind of a sound, kind of buoyant well, kind of? That that part was as far as what I played. That's me and Annie, like like that one part. We worked that out together. She's like saying that, and then I'd go. But I would add my little thing. But it was definitely a collaboration for the sound. When you get the mix and everything, that's Dave Stewart. How the sax sounds in the mix, and whatever how he's putting it in the mix, whatever effect or not not effect he's putting on it. That's that's Dave Stewart. Okay, you know I gotta give credit. Sounds cool. And uh, I think I was wrong earlier when I said there was some harp at the end of that. I think it was your saxophone doing that kind of and kind of fading as the song ends. So yeah, that's uh, um, yeah. So that I mean, Annie would be there and and mix doing mixes, but that's that was kind of Dave's territory, you know, and still is. He's really good at that kind of stuff, you know. Speaking of recording, um, you all, or Dave and Annie, I don't know how what it was with you all, but they stopped in Houston, Texas, and did a remix to Thorn in My Side, the 12-inch stuff. Were you all involved in that at all? Do when did they do that? Do what? They did that while we were doing the Revenge Tour? Yeah, in Houston, Texas, on the Revenge Tour, and they they stopped, or they went to some studio there, and, and they worked on their 12-inch remix of uh, thorn in my side it was a, a different mix i didn't know if you all were involved with that or... the bar i have no memory of that at all and they probably didn't they didn't need us if yeah, it was a remix because that yeah. what they do would, in my experience with remixes not just with them and other people sometimes they don't even take the stuff they have they used to give them to djs back then you know mm-hmm. like say what with my record with Dre, we had Funky Flute. They just, they give a DJ all the tracks and they'd come up with their own thing, use some of the, the what is on the original. And sometimes put in all kinds of new stuff that wasn't even there. Right. So Dave wouldn't need us for a remix or Annie. They had everything they needed. And if they didn't, they would tell us, I need you to record yeah. something. But I don't remember, I have no recollection, to, which does not mean it didn't happen. <laughs> okay. Let me let me ask you just real quickly then about the revenge tour itself. Uh and it was such a long tour. It, it, their longest tour by far. Uh and um 
what you must have been exhausted. You must have been exhilarated. Um, what was it like when all that was going on? And what was it like when it all came to an end and that giant world tour was over? What was all that like for you? Well, the, I remember because we were just kind of working it out. Uh, we were almost amazingly together when because we, we did these first few shows. Our first live shows were in L.A. I think we played it small shows that were kind of leaked out at the last minute. So they're like at the Roxy, which is a small club in the sunset strip. And then at a bigger place out in the Valley, the country club at the time. And, uh, and I look, I've seen those footage of those and man, we were pretty together already, you know? And, but then as we went on, we get, became so good and tight and came up with, as it happens when you play shows, over a long period of time and big audiences, you come up with little bits that you didn't think of and little musical bits, maybe other things that you do together as a show. And uh, that those things are cool. But I remember the first, um, that when we went to Europe, like in uh, the fall, maybe late summer, fall, that was like 13 weeks. We didn't, I kind of maybe knew it was going to be 13 weeks, but I don't think I'd ever been on tour that long with Rod or anybody. We do maybe six, eight weeks, then come back for, take a break for two weeks then go back out again or something. That was long. Cause we went all the way to Christmas. <laughs> I remember doing a makeup date in Sweden right before we we're going to take our Christmas break. And it was like freezing, you know, and we were, we played, we played all those, Princess Trust things in um, oh, yeah. in London, and I think it was in early December. So we've been out, and it you could kind. Of, I remember I, I was so cold in London. I didn't even go out of my room for a while. Mm. You know, I tried to go out, but it was just really nasty that winter in '86. Yeah, end of '86. That's and, where all you, you know, got to meet uh, Princess. I remember Diana. being really pretty beat, pretty beat up at that. And plus, it wasn't just playing. We were. We were running hard. We were young and, you know, we were partying. We, you know, we were young and dumb. You know? Yeah, we know how that is. And uh, I remember Annie lost her voice one time. We were on that one leg, on that leg. We, we were, and we just happened to be in Amsterdam at the Sinesta Hotel. And she had to take a break for vocal cords for three weeks. So that about killed me. Because <laughs> right next to the that Sinesta Hotel was the was it was those places called the Bullfrog or Bull something, you know, where they sell you know cannabis and all kinds of other stuff, and and we were there with the crew. Another danger <laughs> <laughs> for three weeks. We we're in Amsterdam. Oh man, I think I lost my voice after that. <laughs> and now California is like Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, and I don't do none of that stuff anymore. <laughs> I, I, I have a glass of wine, you know, beer once in a while, but uh, all the I left all that behind, you know. But uh, we had fun while we could. But but then when we say we took a, you know, we got done with that, we take a break, and then we went straight to Australia for eight weeks, you know, because you got then it's summer down there, so you got to get down there in January. So we had a little Christmas break, and then boom, we're back. We're back in New Zealand for two weeks. 
um, Australia for six, and they were huge. We were, Eurythmics were big, and we were playing like 100,000 people, and and it wasn't even a festival. It was just them. Yeah. And then we do 18 straight days at the Sydney Entertainment Center. You know, yeah. that's where we recorded that. And Yes, and recorded on February 14th, 1987, which by the yeah, way is my birthday. It. So thank you for really having me on my birthday. Mine's February 7th, man. And a funny, oh, really? I'll tell you a real, little funny thing. We get that. We, we all arrive in uh, Australia and we're on the in the van coming from the airport and they hand out our itineraries. We're all looking through it, thumbing through it. And it gets to my birthday on the 7th and it's a day off and it, and it has in big letters, Jimmy Z's birthday, meet at the pier. You know, and, and even Annie and Dave, they look back and go, what the hell? How does this guy rate? Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently the promoters are the same ones when I'd been to Australia a couple of times before with Rod Stewart that we knew each other, but I didn't know it was them. So they planned out this big, they had a big houseboat, three, three decks, restaurant. And we went out in Sydney Harbor that day. And it was really fun. But like, oh, is, uh, that, is that where that picture is taken of all of you? My brother, man. <laughs> There's yeah, a Rex. photograph of, of all of you on a boat somewhere. Annie's wearing a bikini and you're there. Yeah. Was that the one on, on Sydney Harbor? Yeah. And there's a cake. Oh, wow. Me and Annie. Yeah. That's my birthday cake. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's some pictures of me and Dave. You see the Sydney Opera House in the background. That's okay. it. That was that day. Yeah, that was a week before we recorded, I guess. You know, so now, wow. if Dave and Annie were still touring, and they're not, unfortunately, we all would love them to be. If they were still were touring and they called you up tomorrow and said, hey, Jimmy, we want you to go out on tour, would you do it? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I knew the answer to that. And, of course, we should mention here on the podcast that uh, Eurythmics are nominated for the oh, yeah. Hall of Fame, and we're encouraging people to vote. They're number five in the fan vote, which is important because you get an extra vote if you end up in the top five. And so we're still doing that. And we Who should else votes mention- besides fans? Uh, well, there's apparently there's about 1,200 people that actually cast votes. They're past mm. honorees. Uh, musicians of certain point and I'm sure producers and people in the music business, but about 1200 people cast votes for the hall of fame. I do not know who they all are. Uh, so that's exciting, but we should also say that Dave and Annie are finally being nom- uh, inducted at the 51st songwriters hall of fame, yeah, June 16th, 2022 in New York city. That's de- delayed by two years because of COVID as COVID has done to everything, but many yeah. are getting into that Hall of Fame for sure this year. We're hoping for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That'd be great. They deserve it. Yeah, you've you've recorded with a lot of great people, and uh, you've done a lot of great uh, recordings with Eurythmics. And I know Rex and I are just absolutely thrilled to been able to talk to you today. Oh, you don't know what a thrill it is. It really is for us. It's it a really real it, It's a been a thrill for me to tell you personally how much I appreciate your wonderful harmonica playing, saxophone playing. I mean, <laughs> I, know. I appreciate it. I just want to shout about it, will I? I'll mention it to Janice when I see her next week. You know, if you probably got a way to get in touch with her already. Or I don't oh, know she got, 
you put in you definitely you put in a good word for us and tell Jonice that she needs to be our guest because yeah no worries we we do talk to Jonice on Facebook yeah. and that kind of stuff and I think she is an absolute sweetheart oh uh, she's know. great she's funny too she's a funny girl you know all right yeah. excellent yeah. Jenny, you, you want to hear a real quick Jenny story I absolutely yeah. want to hear a good yeah. <laughs> man we went some crazy places man we were in a Tel Aviv right and uh. And, and nothing against the Israeli people. I want to say that first here. But down there, the Israelis and the Arabs, I'll just say it, it's no wonder that they've been fighting for thousands of years because they're all so damn rude to each other. Wow. <laughs> so, the, the, you know, Janice is a pretty stunning woman, to say the least. And she's tall, and then she had her hair way up. And and she's a beautiful black woman. And I some of these old um, Israeli women were, I don't know, taken aback or something. But I guess they'd been like apparently that she'd walk we're at this nice hotel, the Danil Hotel, one of the best hotels at the time, and right by the beach in Tel Aviv, and I would just come down and I guess they had been going Oh, oh, you know, like just rudely doing things like that, like laughing at her as she walked around town or in the hotel and things. And, at, and I guess she'd had enough. And when, at the point I walked up, she was ready. She was just going, you know, giving them the D.C. She's from D.C., but she'd been living in Paris a long time. She'd been living, you know, speaks fluent French. And she'd been living in Paris before we met her, you know. In, in 86 and uh, she was letting him have it. And, I mean, I, went, I had to pull her away. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was going blah, 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 to them, you know, how do you like it? Ah, you know, that's going Chinese. Come here, come her. here. <laughs> it looked like it was going to get physical. <laughs> and they deserved it. They were so mean and rude to her. You know, wow. you know it was just uh not that you know the whole people, but those those few idiots were like really bad people, you know, to her. But she she did. You can push Johnny so far, man, but don't push her over the line, man. She'll let you have it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're going to get to see Johnny in a couple of weeks. I think oh, that's man, me too, man. That's I really love be a that great... girl. You know, that's great. Yeah, Jimmy, you know, do you want to take I'll us take out? Some, we'll take a few some pictures. Her. What, what do right. you mean? I'm sorry. Do you, want, you do you want to take us out? Do you want to take us out a little bit on your harmonica? Yeah, we'll, 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 yeah, that good with you, Yeah, yeah. Why don't we um kind of you know wrap it up and then when he's done playing, I'll just kind of turn it off. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been Thank my you, pleasure, Jimmy. man. Thank you. Anytime. So much. Thank you so much.
Adios, amigos. Hey, yeah, thanks again. Thanks All again. Right.